Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from Romans 1, 18 through 23. This is the word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, in their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Let's pray. Father, we come before your word this morning, and uh, I come with a trembling heart. I know I need your word, but sometimes it's hard for me. And Lord, I pray this morning that as your word is preached, you would change us and shape us and mold us into the likeness of Jesus. And in, in, in this way, Lord, increase our joy, increase our satisfaction, and show us, show us how to follow you. In Christ's name I pray this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you're just joining us this morning, we're in week three of a new series in the book of Romans. I've titled this sermon, A Sobering Reveal Party. See, gender reveal parties have been all the rage the past few years. Usually these are uh, exciting, expectant, tons of joy, gather friends and family so that everyone at the same time can find out the gender of their baby. Usually there's some video. A lot of times these end up on social media. Well, the reveal that we're going to talk about this morning is actually uh, far less feel-good. Not many of us want to probably post it on social media. It's actually the worst news that we could get. Verse 18 that was just read says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's like double jeopardy. They're unrighteous, and in their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. That'll take you from the good news that we heard about last week, about the gospel being the power of God, and it'll stop you in your tracks for a few moments. 
famous British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about our text for today. There is here an account such as you do not find anywhere else in the whole of the Bible of the history of the human race. It is, I suppose, the most perfect summary of the history of man which can be found in the Bible. The wrath of God being revealed against ungodly and unrighteous men and women, and all of them naturally suppress the truth. Last week we heard of the power of God in the gospel and how in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. And it's for those who live by faith in him. And this week we see the other side of that same coin, which is God's wrath against those that aren't righteous. Humans who suppress the truth of God. And we'll see the consequences of the suppression of the truth revealed and their chaos and destruction that ensue. But this worst news, it will lead us to the best news. And we'll end by looking to the one who offers to calm the chaos and absorb God's wrath on our behalf. Number one, the righteousness of God revealed. Verse 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. See, all people can see God's glory revealed in creation. And this should drive everyone to their creator. Instead, as the end of verse 18 says, we suppress the truth and we all stand condemned. And no one can complain that God hasn't done enough to reveal himself. Just because you didn't see the speed limit sign doesn't mean that the police officer uh, cannot hold you accountable if you don't abide by the law, right? Maybe I'm the only one that's been in that situation. <laughs> and what Paul is saying is we've all seen the speed limit sign. We can be held accountable for our rebellion. And we are accountable because God has revealed himself to us through his creation. Now, even Gentiles, who this text is primarily written to, who didn't have the special relationship with God that the Jews did, can understand that there's a creator who's revealed himself in creation. The universe declares God's glory for all to see. Astrophysicist George Smoot, that might not be a household name to most of you, he used the NASA satellite back in the early 90s to detect cosmic microwaves. So what? Well, he could use those, and he was able to map cosmic microwaves and prove that the universe sprang into existence and this was really the revival of something called the Big Bang Theory. It sounds, honestly, to a Christian, it sounds a lot like 
creation. Well, Smoot famously and provocatively said at the press conference announcing his findings, if you're religious, it's like seeing God. Now, Stephen Hawking called Smoot's findings the discovery of a lifetime, if not of all time. And one anonymous guardian, a famous British newspaper, a contributor wrote in and said, it's difficult to know what the appropriate reaction to such mind-expanding discoveries should be, except to get down on one's knees in total humility and give thanks to God, to the Big Bang, or to both for cunning, cunning, cunningly contriving to allow this infinitesimal part of the universe called Earth to be bestowed with something called air. The crazy intricacies of the observable universe reveal the glory of God, and they point to him. And we call this general revelation. Revelation that all people can see and know of God through the things that he created. The cosmos reveals his glory. As Psalm 19, just a few weeks ago, Ben preached to us, declares this, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now, general revelation isn't enough to save a person, just as we can see from Smoot or Hawking or the anonymous Guardian contributor. But it is intended to drive us to our Savior, to help us seek and see the special revelation that's revealed to us in Jesus. And that's what Greg was excited to tell us about last week. And it's what we read in verse 16 and 17 before our text for today, where it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. A special revelation reveals the fullness of God. How to be redeemed from God's wrath towards sinners and how to live and please God. Now, things are going to get dark for a few verses because the reality is that humans naturally suppress the truth about God. And in the next verses, we see why the wrath of God is being revealed. Number two, the unrighteousness of men revealed. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. All people can see God's glory and we all stand condemned before a righteous God because we've turned away from him and gone our own way. Now, futile means pointless or worthless. Instead of ruling over and ordering creation as obedient stewards, it says that their thinking 
has become futile, pointless, without worth. This is it's our natural state under the weight and the influence of sin. Futile thinking and foolish hearts are really at their core rebellious against God and naturally suppressing the truth and it leads to God's wrath. Here's an illustration for you for a minute. Picture with me a great nation, multitudes of people. Now picture God himself taking that nation of people up out of slavery in a foreign land and transferring them to a place of promise, a place of hope. And now picture the people of that nation abandoning their rescuer, abandoning their creator, the one who promised them hope and a bright future for an image of a calf. You heard me right. A baby cow, a golden calf idol. (laughs) That's so bizarre. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Who would do that? But that's exactly what the nation of Israel did in Exodus chapter 32. And it's exactly what Paul is saying the Gentiles have done also. And it's exactly what you and I have done countless times. Idols today, they're often mental instead of metal, like the calf that Aaron, Moses' brother, made for the nation of Israel. I mean, how many struggle with lustful idolatry, capturing images of others for selfish pleasure, What about pleasure and excessive alcohol or drugs? Who here lives for the approval of others, for success in the eyes of your peers? How many trust in money to save them, to deliver them when trouble comes up? Who here trusts in the government to deliver them? I know a lot of you are thinking, well, not me. Joe Biden's not my president. Donald Trump, he's not my president. Well, maybe you're depending on the Constitution. Maybe you're depending on a conservative Supreme Court for your deliverance. Our hearts are idle factories, prone to suppress the truth about God for false gods. And this is a really important distinction that I want to make. Which idol threatens your soul matters less than that you identify what it is and that you chop it down with God's help. I think our tendency in evangelicalism and at Orchard is to manage our little idols that we can just keep in our pocket, keep in the closet at home. We want to manage sin. We think... This is just a little one, while thinking the big ones are somewhere out there. We've got to destroy our sinful idols because there's no such thing as managing our sin. We'll see what happens if we don't destroy idols 
in verse 24 and following. We'll see how God's wrath is revealed against the unrighteousness of men and those who continue to suppress the truth. Number three, God's wrath revealed. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This word wrath and what it means is uncomfortable. I think that's probably how we should feel about it. Wrath is a great anger that wants expression in punishment. I think we have a very hard time picturing God with righteous wrath because the wrath that we feel isn't like that. We don't associate well with righteous anger or wrath. Ours is often irrational, uncontrollably emotional, driven by animosity or a desire for revenge. God's wrath is not driven by anything like this. His wrath is driven by justice, the antagonism of evil. Now, wrath and all its connotations are not really in vogue today, especially not as it relates to what Scripture teaches God's wrath is toward. Now, some would have you think that the opposite of wrath is love. Well, that would mean loving injustice, because God's wrath is towards injustice, that's not it. He's, he's not, not wrathful and loving towards these things. Some would have you think the opposite of wrath is neutrality. Is God neutral to the great evils in the world? Surely he's not. John Stott summarizes God's wrath well when he says, God's wrath is his holy hostility to evil. His refusal to condone it or comes to term with it. His just judgment upon it. Now God's wrath is a good thing because it is his adjudication of evil. Now also important to understand is that scripture attests to God's wrath being revealed in many different ways. We'll learn about another way his wrath is revealed next week in chapter 2 verse 5. When the final judgment of the, at the end of the age will come up. When God pours out his wrath on judgment day. Now, later in Romans, in chapter 13, we read of the public administration of justice. The government, Paul says, doesn't bear the sword in vain. And God uses the government at times to carry out his wrath. And here we read that one means of God's wrath is giving over a sinner to their desire. God's wrath is revealed in that he gives them up to what they desire. 
This phrase, God gave them up, is repeated three times in this passage. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up. And 25 into 26, because they traded the truth of God for a lie, for this reason God gave them up. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. The Irish poet and playwright Oscar Wilde said, when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. See, entrenched in sin and unrepentant, God gives us our desire, and that's the judgment. Unrestrained sin is one of the ways that we see God's judgment right now. Like running diesel fuel in a gasoline engine will lead to its destruction. When an image bearer subjects themselves to slavery, to sin, it destroys them. So what did God give them up to? Their desires to suppress, suppress the truth led to desires that were unnatural and not good. Number one, it says God gave them up to sexual impurity. Verse 24. Now we know that sexual purity is how God intends for them to operate at their best. It's his design. He had the blueprints. He made them. He made us. A sexual relationship is to be between a man and a wife only. And in the marriage context, it's to be mutually edifying and pleasurable relationship that's divine, defined by putting the other ahead of self. But that's not the preset disposition now. This disposition is toward lust for sexual gratification in ways that are contrary to how God designed us to flourish. Well, the judgment, God allows them to chase after what they want. And this is how his wrath is revealed. Now the second thing that God gave them up to was unnatural desires for one another. Women desiring women and men desiring men. Verses 26 and 27 tell us. It is against nature against the created order as authored by God for men to have sexual desire for men and women to have sexual desire for women. Sam Alberry in his book, Is God Anti-Gay? The implied reply to that question in the title of that book is no. But he says this, this is clearly a massive thing for the Bible to say. And correspondingly, a very hard thing for many people to hear. This is indeed a difficult truth today. There's obvious political and cultural pressure today to abandon biblical teaching on this topic. Tim Keller states it very clearly when he says, The Bible is clear. Both in the Old and New Testament, active homosexual sex as a settled unrepentant pattern of behavior is indicative of an attitude of rejection of Jesus' lordship and leaves people outside the kingdom, though never outside of its reach. This is important for some of you to hear. It's enticing today to leave what the Bible teaches 
because it's easier to get along with those outside the church if we change our position on this. But God's word is clear on this matter despite the efforts of many to teach something contrary. And lastly, number three, what has God given them over to? God gave them up to a debased mind, it says in verse 28. And the result of their debased minds is seen in verses 29 through 32, where we see sinful chaos revealed. Number four. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Truth suppression and unrighteousness leads to God's wrath being revealed in this giant list of sins that crosses categories and types, and it all just leads to chaos. If you don't believe me, just follow the news for a week. Local news, world news, whichever you want. Sin leads to human depravity in a progressive way and it makes everything a mess. Let's consider what we read on this list. With debased minds, the Gentiles were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. That list alone feels comprehensive and destructive. But Paul goes on. They're full of envy, which is jealousy or desire for what others have. Murder, taking the life of another, valuing your own life more than someone else's. Strife, which is like gravel in the gears. Disagreement about fundamental things. Deceit, lying to one another, not speaking truthfully. Maliciousness, which is a desire to show somebody else harm. That's just the second list. <laughs> They're gossips. They enjoy talking in an unconstrained way about other people in a way that's not true. That's what gossip is. <laughs> They're slanderers. They speak nasty, false things about a person to damage their, stick, their standing or their reputation. They hate God. They're rebellious against the sovereign creator of all things. They are insolent, which is boldly disrespectful in speech or action. They're haughty. They see themselves as superior or better than others. They're boastful, which is showing excessive pride in their own accomplishments. Inventors of evil. They come up with evil things that harm and degrade God's image bearers. And they're disobedient to parents. What a list this has been. And now Paul throws this one in there. Suddenly we see that no one escapes this list. The list ends with foolish, faithless, heartless, 
and ruthless. They not only do these things, but they approve and promote of those who practice them. Left to our own desires, we desire stuff that doesn't take us a good direction. In fact, our desire takes us down a path that leads to God's wrath and our destruction. These verses from God's word tell us that. Now, yes, you might be thinking, well, how come we're not all off the edge in the depraved direction? Even people that we know that that are not uh, faithful to Christ, that don't profess faith in him, well, people aren't as bad as they could be. There is a restraining grace from God that shows us that, meaning that even without this belief in Christ, we don't all run off and become mass murderers. But what God's righteousness reveals is that every single one of us has committed injustice against a perfect, righteous God by going our own ways and seeking salvation in other things apart from God. And apart from intervention, everyone would perish eternally. And God hands us over to our desires are man-made gods that will lead to our destruction and chaos. Now today, the cultural message that we're inundated with is secular humanism. It's a belief that humans at their core, at our core, if you go deep down, we're good. Left to our own end, we produce good things. This couldn't be further from the truth that we read of in our passage for today. Here's some song lyrics. There's many songs where you'd find lyrics like this, but I'm going to read these lyrics just to demonstrate the idea. Love can change the world in a moment. The revolution's coming, it's a minute away. I saw people marching in the streets today. You know we're made up of love and hate, but both of them are balanced on a razor blade. I'll paint the picture, let me set the scene. I know I'm all for people following their dreams. Just re-remember life is more than fitting in your genes. It's love and understanding, positivity. We could change this whole world with a piano, add a bass, some guitar, grab a beat, and away we go. I'm just a boy with a one-man show. No university, no degree, but the Lord knows. Love could change the world in a minute, but what do I know? Ed Sheeran sings those songs, sings those words in a song titled, What Do I Know? It's filled with this idea that we've got this. We just need to love and have some understanding and positivity. But the bad news is that we don't got this. And we cannot get it apart from intervention. Left to ourselves, it looks like what Paul described in verses 24 through 32. And what David describes in Psalm 2 of rebellion against God. It says this, why do the nations rage and the peoples, they plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But the good news is that God has intervened. And Sheeran does get something right when he says that love will change the world. 
It's God's love. Because God sent a wrath absorber and a calmer of the chaos. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And anybody who believes in him, anybody, can have eternal life. John 3.16. Psalm 2 continues. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God has intervened. And he sent his king. Jesus has come and he was crucified for the sin of those who couldn't pay their own debt. And this is why verse 16, we read that the apostle Paul isn't ashamed. For in the gospel, we see God's power to save from his wrath. In the gospel, we see that Jesus has absorbed the wrath of God for sinners. And now salvation through Jesus is accessible to all people through faith. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And now we've got to consider why does this matter? Well, it matters for your soul. It matters for the souls of everyone around you. Number one in application, saving faith. Hide yourself in Christ by putting your faith in Jesus. Colossians 3.3 says that the one who has put faith in Jesus says you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All those things Paul said God gave them over to in our text for today, die to them. Sexual impurity, same-sex attraction, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, hateful, murderous thoughts, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, disobedience, foolishness, faithless, heartless. Die to these things. Get rid of them. Crucify your flesh today so that you could become alive to God. Put your faith in Jesus. He loves you. He gave his life to rescue you. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that look like if you're new to church? If, if scripture and the Bible are new and you're trying to figure this all out, what does this look like? Well, faith in Christ means acknowledging that you need a savior, that you have not and that you cannot save yourself. It means acknowledging that you're among the ungodly that Paul said God's wrath is revealed against in our text for today. We cannot serve Christ and our sinful desires, so we have to turn away from the sinful desires. And that's called repentance. Repent from sin and turn to Jesus. He'll save you and sustain you and you'll have an inheritance and a hope 
that's undefilable, unfading. It won't rust or wrinkle. You can do this by praying a prayer like I'm going to read right now. Something like this. Jesus, I acknowledge that I stand condemned by your righteousness and I need a savior. I put my faith in you for the forgiveness of my sin. And now help me to turn away from all the sins that entangle my life. If you prayed that with me or, or you'd like to, please come see me or you can see any member at Orchard who would love to talk to you about faith in Jesus. Now, number two in our application, sanctification. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, and this might be many of us here today, you need to continue trusting Christ. I think in our comfortable American Christianity, it's easy to get complacent about the sins that we struggle with. We get lulled into thinking if we look outwardly good, we can sort of rest on our performance. Because the performance looks good instead of on Jesus' work on the cross for us. When things go badly, we tend to compensate by trusting our own wisdom and our own ways. We're prone to struggle with self-righteousness. This idea that we can save ourselves by sanctified means, by means that look real Christian or good. It's just the churchier way of pursuing salvation outside of Christ. Tim Keller says that seeking salvation through biblical morality is just as much idolatry as any of the deep, dark sins from the lists we read today. So if you've professed faith in Christ, continually remember the gospel. Recite it in your heart each day. Cling to it and run to it regularly. Evangelism, number three in application. What does evangelism look like for those who follow Jesus? Well, we are each one of us called to do it. I think it's a gift in some senses, but as much more than it is a gift, it's a disciplined pursuit that we need to embrace as Jesus' followers. So what might it look like to not be ashamed in light of God's wrath being revealed against ungodliness? Well, it certainly isn't to mock and cast judgment from a place of self-righteousness on others. Sometimes, as Christians, we get this real dangerous attitude where we cast judgment towards sinners without being moved by compassion for the sake of their souls. Our compassion doesn't save anyone from sin, but compassion should move us toward those who are lost with truth, with love, patience, kindness, gentleness. I think the lack of evangelism in our lives, I'll say it this way, the lack of evangelism in my life is diagnostic of some things that I think we need to address. We need to see for what they are. I think it might reveal that we are self-righteous in our hearts. 
A lack of motivation to see unbelievers saved might reveal that we think we're better than them. Listen to what Paul wrote in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit inherit the kingdom of God. If we read those verses with self-righteous indignation towards sinners, we stand condemned. Paul continues, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. No one is beyond the hope of the gospel. Forgiveness is offered to all people. And knowing that we used to be among the lost puts us in a place of humility and contrition. It causes us to worship Christ and have compassion for unbelievers, for people who haven't professed faith in Jesus. It leads us to love and to listen to speak truth and to patiently pray for our neighbors and our friends and our family who don't know Christ. Whatever the sin is that they struggle with, whether it's the same as the ones that we struggle with or not, church, reveal Jesus. Herald the King. Even with this sobering news revealed about God's wrath against sinners, it does indeed lead us to the best reveal, which is that God's righteousness is for those same sinners if they submit to him in faith. And as dark as it is to consider God's wrath on the unrighteous, consider the joy when a sinner is saved from the wrath of God. Consider the magnitude of the saving work of Jesus. I have one more scripture to close with. It's such a good example for us as we think about this application. After Aaron and the Israelites make the golden calf in Exodus 32, we get a glimpse of what caring for those enslaved to idolatry looks like when we see how Moses responded. God said, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And none of us are Moses. And Moses was a type of Christ, a deliverer. 
But we can pray for our neighbors, for our friends. Let us pray like Moses did for those lost in idolatry around us. Let us not treat their sin differently than ours. And let's faithfully present the truth in love. Let us not be ashamed, but let us boast in Christ. Please stand, and I'm going to close with a benediction. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Father, we are so thankful that you've given us the good news. <laughs> We're thankful that you gave us also the bad news because it makes the good news even more magnificent and glorious. Father, as we go from here today, I pray that these words would sink down into our hearts and minds and transform us and bring us joy in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.